Hello, X. Hi, X. Hello, X. Um, Hello, X. You're doing good.、Uh, I hope that we didn't screw、yeah. up the Earth yeah, too much. I want to apologize for this burden. It's now. Hello, Hello, X. It's us, Christine Sen, Annelies Dieberg, and Valentin Mantz, with Ice Nine in Tromsø, in the far north of Norway. In 2068, you, X, will be a woman in her early 20s, living somewhere in the Arctic. In 2018, you exist only in our imagination, and in the imaginations of all our listeners today. Ice Nine has put together a team of scientists and artists to make short stories about you, X. The listeners are invited to contribute and discuss all these stories on the HelloX.me website. This podcast documents our journey towards you. As we discuss and debate how human activity today might impact the food you eat in the future Arctic, and your connection to the ecosystem around you, these stories about your speculative life and this podcast will be scheduled for re-release in 2068, 50 years from now. By 2068, many of us who are dreaming of you might be grandparents, parents. Or great grandparents, and you, X, might be our own grandchild, child, or great grandchild. We may be dead, but we may have uploaded our brains onto some server. Yeah, so they, she can anyway talk to us. This podcast is a behind-the-scenes look into the Hello X Story Laboratory. Episode one tells the story of how the idea of X came about, who's already on board, and why the soul of X actually comes from you, the listener. You'll also hear the members of the creative team talk about what it means to have a relationship with the unborn. And finally, you'll meet environmental anthropologist Anne Eileen Leonard, who gathers stories from hunters in Greenland. She'll talk about how stories can help natural science. And vice versa. Do you remember the first time that you heard about X and this project? I was、uh, looking for a job, and、uh, somebody I knew said, "Ah,、oh, you should talk to Christine and Valentin." And I wasn't sure what the job was about, but I took contact with you. I went on a、um, went for a job interview, and. You told me about the project, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that's that's very interesting," but I'm not sure I really get it. What were you doing at the time? Oh, I had so many different jobs. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I like I went to work at a school. I went to work in a shop, and I was filming, editing. I was thinking, okay, where do I fit in? What did you understand about the project at that time? I understood that it was about the future. You wanted people to imagine this young woman living fifty years in the future, and make short stories about her and her life. And were you 
excited about the job or were you not sure that this was really a good idea? Maybe you were working for crazy people? The, the thought had crossed my mind <laughs> that you might, might be... Um, no, and I'm no. so glad that you weren't um, scared away by our... <laughs> obviously inadequate uh, definitions of what we were doing, which is probably because we didn't exactly know what we were doing. And I think that that's the good part or the fun part about this project is that it's truly an experiment. What I was wondering about is, where did you get this idea? I was in the post-production towards the end of the post-production of a film called The Act of Killing, which I co-directed. And that had been a whole era in my life, actually, of working in Indonesia, working on the history of a political genocide. I'd spent maybe 13 years thinking about how to document the imagination, and in particular, how the process of imagining one's life could actually transform a person and perhaps transform a whole community. Then I had the idea that would lead me to you, X, and change the direction of everything I was doing. In 2011, I was by the sea on a tiny barrier island. It's actually fitting that you were born there, X, at least in my dreams. I spent the first 18 summers of my life listening to the waves breaking on that New Jersey beach. My earliest memory is of the rotten egg smell of the salt marsh as we drive over the bridge. I was on the beach, watching a flock of sandpipers chasing the waves. I was thinking all the experiments that I'd done up to that point were about imagining and dramatizing the past. And I thought, hey, what if we imagine the future instead of the past? But how are we going to do this? Ah, ah, that's the 64 million kroner question. <laughs> So this is the thing that happened on the beach. I realized that we're humans. And one of the good things about humans is that we can empathize through stories. If we relate to a character in a story, then we can use that story. And the story has meaning and, and power for us. So I felt like, okay, we need a person. We need a person to imagine, someone we can dream about, and someone we can talk about. So the idea of coming up with a character who is a complete unknown, that became X. So you're talking about this X person, but who is X? Is she one person? So I chose X because X is the universal unknown in mathematics. And X is also the, it's the one chromosome that all humans share. In the stories, I think 
X will take on different names and different identities. So instead of being a single character with a single storyline, she's more like a lightning rod. She attracts the energy of our imaginations and she channels that into stories. I see X more like a container where you can put in all our wishes and desires and feelings and hopes. And the more people who imagine her, the more people she becomes. So Indonesia and New Jersey are pretty far from Trums and the Arctic. Why do this project here? How did you two end up in Trums in Northern Norway? I was really fascinated actually with polar exploration history and I just wanted to live in the Arctic. Yeah, we took a chance and just came up here. It was more like a dream because it's so fantastically beautiful here. I'm fr I come from the hills and I've always been dreaming of being near the sea. Having both the sea and the mountains, that's like the impossible. But it's possible, it exists here. And I love it. I love the trees. I love uh, the Björk or the... Birch? The birch trees. And I see them as survivors. They get bent up downwards and then they go back upwards again. and. That's very inspiring. There's a lot of wilderness here, or what looks like wilderness to a girl from New Jersey. <laughs> a lot of open space, and it's much bigger than me or anyone, and I really love that about the place. At the same time that it brought with it a lot of questions about what is happening here and how this extremely beautiful, transcendent place is also very much part of the world in the sense that there's a lot of changes here that have to do with CO2, that have to do with pollution and other things, along with social and political changes. been working on political violence, actually, for a long time. And thinking about what we're doing to the planet was a shift for me. And the last piece of the puzzle came together when we decided to focus on the future of food. Well, food links humans to all living things on the planet. And we love food. We love to think about it and grow it and exchange it and cook it. And think about food some more. <laughs> right. So, who needs to be involved? Well, the city of Tromsø is on board. And Polaria Science Museum. Sparbank Northern Norway. And the Free Speech Foundation. What else do we need? We need scientists to anchor our stories in the most cutting-edge research. Right now, this includes hundreds of polar scientists from the High North Research Center for Climate and the Environment and the Nansen Legacy Project, led by the University of Tromsø. We also need artists to help us emotionally connect with X and cultural institutes like the North Norwegian Art Museum and the Norwegian Arts Council. And we need kids, because they are the potential parents of X, and we think kids should be included in our discussions on the future. And last but not least, we need you. 
HelloX invites anyone with an internet connection that likes stories and is concerned about the future, food, the Arctic, or the planet to contribute to the current story cycle through the HelloX.me website. Your ideas will be discussed on this podcast. And they will be mashed up by writers, performers, and musicians in live improvised events. Where the audience gets to be part of the show. There are also some exciting new story formats and mediums in the HelloX laboratory, which we'll be talking about right here on the podcast. So subscribe. What does it mean to have a relationship with... What does, what it, does mean it mean to have a relationship to the unknown board? What does it mean to have a relationship? How does it feel for you to... What does it mean for you to have a relationship with the unborn? Future people. Future people. Future people. What does it mean to have a relationship with the unborn or future generations? This question was asked to the HelloX creative team as part of a reflection on what kind of fellowship with X we are conceiving. Our answers are personal. There are points where our thoughts intersect and other points where they diverge. These hotspots begin to mark the territory we need to cross as we set out on a journey towards X and the future. So, how does it feel for you to relate to a life that's not born yet? It feels, now I just think about how it feels, really. Not what does it mean, but it feels. That's Marina Boravaya, who works with photography, marketing, and finance. Mm, it feels like a responsibility, in a way, but it also feels exciting and fun and something that gives, uh, gives hope. I think it's a most natural uh, question. Uh, to dream is to think about the future. Annika Wistrom is an associate producer. When I think about the kids of my brother, you know them, they are so vulnerable. And uh, I, I also realize that they uh, develop so fast. Every time I see them, it's like a great change. They have come to terms with who they are and they are finding their way. I tend to need that energy that you get when you try to look on the bright side and see that there are power in the unborn. There is this connectedness that you don't see, but I really feel that we are connected. I want to know what kind of inner thoughts will they have? What, what kind of ecstatic experience will they have? It feels immaterial because it's in our head. But for us humans, our, these immaterial things are very important. While at the same time we're standing on the floor and we need to eat food. Within our culture there is an attempt not to die, which, you know, an attempt to freeze the process of time. 
This is artist and theatre director Leo Kay. And I guess to have a relationship with the future is to have a relationship with the process of life and death. Novelist Sigbjörn Skoden. Bigger means not to disregard natural resources and to not to disregard that the people are parts of ecosystems. As a person who loves technology and as a person who loves science fiction, I mean, you kind of want to be able to predict it. Ismet Bakhtiar is our digital experience designer. The relationship to the unborn will be all about the untapped potential. It is almost like a savior complex as well. It's almost like, you know, you're always expecting this, like, this amazing person to just, like, save the world. Even pop culture, you know, there's always a hero. There's always someone who, who fixes things. There was the thing about the savior. Yeah, Ismet was talking about in the stories that we kind of always have this hero trying to save us. He's right. There's a lot of that. The hero's journey, the hero's story. We want the savior, someone who saves us. Yeah, instead of being the savior ourselves, maybe. Well, there is a writer who's called Mikael Niemi from the northern Sweden. His family owns a forest, so he, he chops wood like his parents' generation did and like his grandparents' generation did and like his great-grandparents' generation did. And every time he chops a tree, he says it's a, it's a family policy, of course, to plant the tree. Because the trees he chops was planted there by his great-grandparents. And after regenerations, it's big enough to chop and, and so you can use it. And if you don't plant, plant, plant a new one, of course, uh, your great-grandchildren won't have a tree to chop. X uses stories to forge new relationships, not only with future humans like X, but also with the shared futures of the estimated 8.7 billion other species with whom we share the Earth. This is why each episode will feature a science segment, and why we've invited Anne Eileen Leonard to lead Ice Nine Science Communication. Anne is an environmental anthropologist whose doctoral dissertation involved collecting and processing stories from hunters in Greenland, where she lived for many years before moving to Tromsø. How long did you live in Nook? Well, we lived there for 11 years. 11 years? Yeah. Okay. So that's a really long time. That's a long time. And just for people who don't know, including myself, what is an environmental anthropologist? An environmental anthropologist is a person who works with humans' relation and interaction in nature. It can be their perception in nature. You can also say it's a kind of geographer. So I've been working on how one can use cultural landscapes, how people have been moving, traveling, living, hunting, how you can use it to answer natural scientific questions. But getting scientists to integrate stories and cultural landscapes into their understanding of the ecosystem isn't always easy. Well, first of all, I can just like talk why I think it's difficult for scientists to use the stories. Mm. And that's because it's not in numbers. And it's nothing, they think that it's nothing that they can test out when scientists come to an area and make their studies, they are maybe there for a few weeks. But like the local people are there all year round, 
So I would actually say that these people are actually the true biologists or scientists because in the same way when they move around, they observe and they have different hypotheses and thoughts of how things are and could be and they test them out. It's exactly like science. They can tell you about how ice margins have been or what animals have been there in a period or how they have moved in the, the fjord systems. And... Through the stories of hunters, Anne discovered something scientists didn't know about the movements of the Greenlandic halibut, an important species for the local fishing industry and for the mysterious narwhal, an arctic whale described by Jules Verne as the unicorn of the sea for its long spiral tusk. There is one who told me that, uh, yeah, when the narwhals come here, the halibut, they disappear from this area and they move to a certain place in a fjord. And when this happens, we stop fishing in this area because there's no point of fishing. But the scientists do not know that. That area where the halibut might go for that period when the narwhals are there, maybe for a few weeks, could be a place where one well, was thinking to have a deposit of tellings, you know? Mine tailings are waste material from mining operations and are often the subject of conflict between locals and mining companies. When people want to start a mine or, you know, then they always have to make studies on how areas are used. Will it impact people? And when you come out in Greenland and you see the nature, there's so much nature and everything just looks like wilderness. And many times when they come and make these reports, they actually just write down that this is just wilderness. And they will think, no, they don't use this area. Anne is developing what she calls story maps in Greenland, which combine the cultural landscape with natural scientific data. Available on smartphones and computers, the maps will be a public resource for locals and tourists. Such a map can actually show that this area is important for settlements really, really far away. Also to avoid misunderstandings, because then they come and present this thing. They say, yeah, we're going to make this mine here in this area. It's not used by anybody. And then the local people say, but this area is really important for us. And when such things happen, it's like a really, really bad clash because then there becomes like a lack of trust and understanding. So I hope that it will also be able to avoid these misunderstandings. Anne believes environmental anthropologists like herself can help reduce tension between local communities and industry by making sure they both use maps that include cultural knowledge and stories. She's also a big advocate of citizen science. And it doesn't only have to be the hunters of Greenland. It can also be local fishermen in Norway. They see the changes and, and what's actually happening. But they don't publish in journals or present no. at conferences. They tell each other stories. I think stories are really, really important. So when stories are, are told, you imagine things, like you picture the things that are told. Um, and also that it hits you emotionally. And if one is really good to do this through the stories, I think it can actually, you know, bloom like a flower, like in many different ways. The stories when they're told in Greenland are told in a special way. The sound of the voice, the way that they talk and like they, there's, there's a pause between things. So when they've said something, it's like, the, the person who's telling the story also just like has to, you know, 
digest it or taste what he has told. And then it also gives time for the people listening to also just think things through like a pause, like a thinking pause or imagination pause. And then you wait there really curious. What's he going to tell now? He told me about this. What's going to happen now? Inuit, Ilad, Oratakut, Imma, Manna, Nisuman. There is a Pastormasu, a Messer, Manga Tatu. Kisieni, Wanga. Some say that cablings come here because the sea is cold and because there is so much that they can eat. But I think it's because Mother of the Sea is happy. She's the soul of the sea and we should watch out for her because it's her who gives life to our sea and food. This is a story featured in Ada's Adventure Tales and soon to be released children's book based on her work with hunters. It's read in Greenlandic by Kunak Leonard. We should remember that we are part of the nature and the sea. Just like us, there are also other animals which feed on cablin. Cods and seals love them too. We should always take care not to make Mother of the Sea angry. If we don't, then all the animals will get entangled into her hair. And then there will be no fish, no seals, and no food, Ada told, and grabbed his fishing rod. The main character in Anne's book is named Ada, which means grandfather. Based on a number of real people, Ada is a hunter who takes his grandchildren out into the fjord by boat. And the children, they say that it's really, it's always exciting traveling with him because he always has a lot of different stories when they sail there. So we follow their trip in the fjord. Um, and then like they can come to an area which is called Amasivib, which is the place where you dry um, cablin. Cablin, or lodde in Norwegian, are a type of smelt fish that swarm around the edges of the sea ice in the Arctic. Cablin are considered a keystone species in the marine food web, which means a lot of other animals depend on them as food. With warming water temperatures and Arctic sea ice retreating rapidly, many commercial and traditional fishermen are concerned about how capelin will adapt. And um, from these stories on how they would catch them and such things, I mix it with like the biology of this fish, why it's there and why it's important in this place also, because then there are a lot of seals and whales and such things. But then I also mix it into the mythology of like that the Inuit have of the mother of the sea. So there is this mother of the sea that takes care of the ocean. And she could be the mother of X. I think we all have mothers. We all need mothers who care. We get a lot from our mothers. And sometimes we should also think about them, of their needs. 
And the sea, in a very physical, materialist way, is actually where we, come where we all come from. Yeah. All life comes from the sea. And when animals and plants crawled out of the sea, we actually have salt water in our cells. So we carry the sea inside of us. We're 70% water. So this idea that the sea is our mother is literally true. Can you picture her? I can see her hands. What do they look like? What kind of hands does she have? She may have big hands. Can you see her face? I think she has a big, big smile. I see her sad. You see her sad? I see her as enormous. <laughs> really big. Really, really big, like the biggest mountain. I think the biggest mountains in the world are underwater. What about her eyes? What, do, what eyes do you think she would have? Sparkly eyes. Sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> you like sparkles. Yeah, I like sparkles. <laughs> Maybe I should wear more sparkles. So she has a sad... Sad mouth. But kind of, you know how there's eyes. a sad mouth and sparkling eyes? But you, you also said you thought she was happy, so we, we, we don't know. Yeah, she could smile and then and she could be sad sometimes. Yeah, like, like a person who sometimes She's is sad. She's a person. Yeah, sometimes sad, sometimes happy, sometimes other feelings. So that's it for episode one. Remember, Hello X is a live story experiment where you can add your vision of the future to this season's X stories. So go to hellox.me and look for the button that says write. That's W-R-I-T-E. It takes around 10 minutes. It's as easy as answering a few questions, but also has options for people who want to write more. All you have to do is press the button. Press the button. Press the button. You can do it. Thanks to Anne-Eline and Kunuk Lennart and the HelloX creative team. HelloX partners include Trumse Municipality, Polaria Science Museum, the Nansen Legacy Research Project, the North Norwegian Art Museum. From the High North Research Center for Climate and the Environment with its flagships, one, environmental impact of industrial development in the north, Two, effects of climate change on sea and coastal ecology in the north. Three, sea ice in the Arctic Ocean technology and agreements. Four, hazardous substances, effects on ecosystems and the human health. Five, effects of climate change on terrestrial ecosystems, landscapes, society and indigenous people. Music is by Metatag on Hell Audio and Fium Shark on Not Applicable. Ice 9 is supported by the Norwegian Arts Council, Spadebank Northern Norway, the Free Speech Foundation, Innovation Norway, and Koro Public Art Norway. Hello X is produced by Ice 9 with Christine Sinn, Anneli Stieberg, and Valentin Mans. Associate producers include Marina Borovaya and Annika Wistrom. Sound mix by Nathaniel Gosta. Digital design by Ismet Bakhtiar. Story Generator, developed by Ferkel Industries. And a parting track dedicated to the Mother of the Sea. And anyone doing dishes just now. 
Here's Fium Shark's Great Swimming Pool of Liberation out on the Not Applicable label. Links to this and more available on the episode one page at hellox.me. Bye for now.